Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's another Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show with your regular host, Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoo, with you ahead in the next hour or so on this podcast. Of course, we're going to have some fun with that Kodak moment at the Panthers game this week as the NHL certainly went viral and everybody had a lot of fun with it. Uh, we'll talk about that. Evander Kane and the Edmonton Oilers, a good fit or not? We'll touch on that, uh, plus the you know maybe the return of Tuka Rask, uh, Rask to Boston, some other stories that are floating around the NHL uh, this week. Jesse Granger is back for Granger Things. We'll chat about Jack Eichel's return and how maybe the, uh, the Golden Knights can fit him in under the cap and when he might come back. Plus, we'll chat Olympic odds for the men's tournament without the NHLers. Uh, we'll take a mailbag question, too, and we'll wrap up with this week in hockey history, looking at uh, if there are any Wayne Gretzky records within reach. And that time, the Broad Street Bullies ran the Soviet Red Army right out of the rink in an exhibition game back in the 70s. So we'll get to all of that and more as we kick off this athletic hockey show. I ask you this, Sean. Our, our two favorite NFL teams are meeting this week. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Mm -hmm. We're a San Francisco 49ers fan. Correct. Are we doing any of these crazy bets of if, this, if Dallas wins, Sean has to do this. If San Francisco wins... Ian has to do that. Like, are you going to make me show up to an Ottawa Senators game in the press box, like in a Wendell Clark jersey at some point? Like, are Ooh. we doing any of this stuff? You know what? Or that's no? not we... a, that's uh yeah, you got my attention now. I don't, we might yeah. have to figure something out. I don't, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that Sean has to wear a Cowboys jersey during the podcast is really going to resonate uh, quite, yeah. uh, quite as well, but there's, there's gotta be some, all right, let's kick, uh, we'll kick this around and we'll, uh, we'll uh, come up with something. Yeah, well, and we'll uh, we'll we'll ask for our listeners' help here. Tweet at us and yes. let us know if if there's a fun bet that Sean and I should do ahead in advance of our two favorite NFL teams meeting in a playoff game. Let us know, and you know, we'll, maybe we'll have some fun with it, and uh, and we'll see what we can do. So, speaking of fun, I got to lead off with this because I don't want to say that we can sometimes call the shots or see the future, but a couple of weeks ago we've been oddly <laughs> talking about Florida Panthers Man. and celebrities. For like the last three or four weeks, you dropped a Walter Cronkite, Florida I, Panthers. I ticked reference, off right? the hockey gods. Yeah. Obviously, I I didn't realize I had crossed a line. But yeah, you make one reference to the Florida Panthers having a and, boring fan base and celebrities. And, oh boy, yeah, and the dude, hockey they come gods roaring back. 
and we get the Kodak Black moment. Well, I'll be honest, the only other time Kodak Black has entered my sphere was when he was he was one of the guys that got like the last minute pardon from Donald Trump back in the day. Oh wow, okay. Right? So you're one ahead of me because I uh yeah, I I have a feeling there's a lot of hockey fans who were learning uh who Kodak Black was and probably a lot of Kodak Black fans who were learning that there's a hockey team in Florida. So uh maybe in that sense uh maybe good for everyone. I don't know. Yeah, because it was an unbelievable moment. And you know, your tweet, I got you got to walk our First of all, I, I man, why didn't I bring your tweet up here? I I feel like I should have had your tweet up and ready to go. But this was a moment on social media because there was a window of time. I'll I'll call it an hour, maybe mm-hmm. 90 minutes where it straight up looked like Kodak Black was having sex with somebody yeah. inside the booth at the hockey game. Like the, it, the, the it was camera basically angle. the yeah. This was this was like the Skydome incident all over again except without even the window. Yeah. It was uh yeah. It was it was I, I, I'm sure everybody said you couldn't avoid it. It was everywhere. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it, it sure looked that way. Let's just say. Yeah. And so we all think, look for, for like an hour, we're like, oh my gosh, this guy is straight up having sex inside a NHL arena in front of everybody. And then there was the alternate camera angle that came through that said, look, she's, she's just grinding on him, twerking. Okay. Yeah. And you come in from the top ropes with the tweet to end all tweets, which was, I don't have it now. So tired of watching the NHL and thinking somebody scored only to have it overturned after a replay. That's a mic drop tweet, man. You have had about a hundred mic drop tweets in the last couple of years. Like you all, you, your money for that, but walk our audience through like, are you sit like, like take us through no, the it's, perf- like the, the, here's, the process? Here's the process. To to that. It's the exact same process for every one of my tweets. I see something, I think of something, I go, oh, that's kind of funny. And I type it in and I send it. That's it. That's, that's the, that's the I, process. I, people think there's a process. People, I always get like, you know, somebody will like send something to me, like, how long have you been saving that one? And it's like, what, do you think I'm like doing work in advance on this? It's Twitter. No, I, you, you, think of something you don't really think it through all that well you hit send and then people either react or they don't and i i pretty sure that tweet uh ended up being the the the, the most shared one i've ever had to give you a sense of where hockey fans were and this was also by the way like late at night so i was it was like tweet okay a couple of replies go to bed and it wasn't until the next morning that i i wake up and you know, I got like Rex Chapman and Keith Olbermann and people like that uh, sending me feedback. And it's like, oh, OK, that's uh, thank you. Thank you, Kodak. You know, we're we're uh, you, you're, you're putting all of us on the map here. OK, so Olbermann, Keith Olbermann interacts with your tweet. Of all the tweets you've ever had, who is the most famous, even if they just hit like so that you know that they saw the tweet Who's the most famous person who has ever interacted with one of your tweets? See, I, I don't see who just retweets or likes. I've turned that off. But I think I, I know Will Arnett's uh, like he's a Leaf fan. So he, uh, uh, you know, he's checked in. But I think the number one was I had CM Punk. Uh, oh, that would retweet me you. once with uh, it was it was a Shea Weber joke when when they made it was when the Weber Subban trade went down. And uh, 
and he jumped in on that. So yeah, that was, I'm, I'm big with the, with the pro wrestler crowd. So yeah. Now, now does Will Arnett follow you on Twitter? I don't know. Wait, Let's find out. Look at you. Look at you are just playing this so cool with the, I turn off my retweets. And no, I can't I, because I mean, you don't, geez, I don't. When, uh, when we get to your level, I know. Yes. So you, Will Arnett does follow me. There oh you my go. God. Listen, man, how Shout are you not sliding into Will Arnett's DMs and setting him up to join the Athletic Hockey Show? Yeah, I'm that's a true. huge fan of, of Arrested Development is probably my all-time favorite uh, sitcom. Okay. The seasons one and two. Yep. And you're sitting here with Will Arnett, you, the ability to communicate directly with Will Arnett, yeah. and you didn't know that until just now. So the update is going to be next week. Yeah, Will Arnett doesn't follow me anymore. Yeah. I, I said. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll get him on the show, but only if he does the entire thing in the Batman okay. voice I, from the Lego movie. Yeah. I, okay. I got a potential. If the Dallas Cowboys beat the San Francisco 49ers, you have to slide into Will Arnett's DMs and put in a request for him to join the Athletic Hockey I don't know. I don't know about that. I'll, I'll, I'll think about who do, who do you got, though? You got to have, uh, you know, who, who are the big Sense fan celebrities out there? Rihanna follow you? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 none of them. The most random follow I ever got. And I still don't know. And I'm scared. I would never send him a DM is Ryan Reynolds. And I'm like, I'm okay. scared to death. I'm well, scared I mean, to death. I feel like that beats, uh, that definitely beats uh, and I, Will Arnett. I, I, think, once, but, I once had Taylor Swift hit like on a tweet of mine, which was everything. After I saw wow. a Taylor Swift concert and okay. tweeted, what a great. It wasn't like a, a breakdown of a senator's penalty yeah. kill. And, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. You get you get Taylor on here, and we'll be uh, we'll be talking. Yeah, no, she didn't. She didn't. Noted uh, Predators fan. Uh, is she a Predator? Oh, I guess the Nashville connection. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. She's there... been doing like the the little claw thing or whatever that they that they do. Yeah, she's uh, she's been at a few of those games. Okay, well, so now we, we have just willed into existence. Something is going to happen with the Nashville Predators and the celebrity now at some point yeah. in yeah. the next now it is. couple of weeks. Here we go. That's how this uh, that this little curse that we have going. So one more thought here on the on the Kodak Black thing. Like the NHL, very briefly, like they tweeted out, like, "Hey, welcome to the game," <laughs> and they deleted the tweet yeah. because of what happened. Like, did they? You understand them deleting that tweet, but like, is this the craziest celeb crossover we've ever seen in the NHL? I mean it 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 would have to be certainly the you know spontaneous uh, ones. Uh, yeah, this might be, I, I, I think it was last week or the week before we talked about the, like kiss choking out Gary Bettman in that photo. Right. Uh, that may have been the previous, uh, the previous clubhouse leader, but no, that, this, this might be there. And the, yeah, like I get why they deleted it. I think all of us would love to have seen the NHL, like be cool and tweet out something really funny about this, but I do not for a moment, uh, envy the social media manager who was on duty that night, who had to like yeah. deal with that. Like just sitting there, they're just the meme sitting there, like tweet something funny, get fired. Like which button am I going to press right here? And, uh, um, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I, I completely understand the decision to sit that one out. Let, let's move on to some, some on ice stuff here, because I, there, there's a bunch of really interesting storylines. Evander Kane, and look, we, we want to tell people we are recording this at, you know, closing in on noon on on uh, on Thursday. So we're well aware by the time this drops, maybe there'll be some news on Evander Kane. Maybe he'll sign somewhere. But are you surprised that the market is apparently 
pretty hot for Evander Kane, meaning that there, if you listen to Dan Milstein, his agent, there are numerous teams interested in Evander Kane. Whereas I think I thought maybe a couple of weeks ago there might not have been a market for him. Are you? Let's start with this, Sean. Are you surprised that multiple teams appear to have expressed interest in landing Evander Kane? I'm. I'm. I guess I, I would be surprised if there were that many teams that were serious about bringing him in. I, I think we have to take this with a big grain of salt because, like you say, it's coming from the agent. It's coming from his camp. It's their job to create a market and make it appear that there is one. So, I mean, this maybe 15 different teams called Evander Kane and said, here's our contract offer. Or maybe the camp reached out to 32 teams and half the league said, no way, don't even lose our number. Don't call us back. And the other half said, eh, maybe we'll think about it. And then that becomes uh, that there's there's this uh, stocked market. But the fact is, and whether it's one team or two or five or ten, it, it certainly seems like somebody's going to sign him, and it's going to happen uh, as close to as soon as possible. Although the other piece of this is hanging in the air is the NHL announcing that they're going to investigate this latest uh, um, alleged uh, violation of COVID protocols. Maybe that slows things down. Maybe teams are going to back off and say, hold on, we want to hear, we want to make sure the league's not dropping another big suspension on you before we, we commit. But uh, it certainly sounds like there's, uh, however many teams it is, there's enough uh, that uh, he's he's going to wind up somewhere. Yeah, and uh, you're right. It, it's it's worth noting that there's an investigation into kind of, uh, you know, when he allegedly breached COVID protocols over the holidays and got back to Vancouver. It's, you know, how did he get back to Vancouver? What was his uh, method of getting back there? Did, you know, so you're right. If, if all of a sudden the league says, you know, by the way, uh, you can get Evander Kane, but you're getting him with a 25-game suspension because we already suspended him 20 games, so we're going to, like, it. It absolutely would impact uh, a team's uh, approach. I want to play a little audio here because Connor McDavid's uh, response, and I'll, I'll, I'll classify it as a tepid response, uh, got asked. McDavid got asked on Wednesday about the possibility of Kane joining the Oilers. Have a listen here to McDavid's very, uh, like I said, tepid response to the idea of Evander Kane joining Edmonton. I'm not really here to discuss optic issues. Um... You know, if, if fans don't like it or the media doesn't like it or whatever, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it is what it is. You know, I'm sure there's lots of things that go on on the ice and, and, and whatnot that, that fans don't like. And, and uh, you know, we don't necessarily have to discuss those up, up here with you guys. So, um, you know, the, the public opinion is, uh, is something that uh, um, obviously matters a lot, um, you know, but, you know, we're here to try to win games and, and, and try to... to to uh, you know, put together a, a good team on the ice, and um, you know, if Kenny thinks that that's that's what he can do, then that's what he can do. I think uh, you know, Kenny's got uh, got our, our full support and what he does. So, Sean, what what I took away from that clip was it, like McDavid at no point makes a definitive statement about Evander Kane. His body language, like he shrugs. I think somebody even, I think it was Mark Lazarus, uh, our, yep. our Chicago reporter, yeah, it was, said, yeah. yeah, it was Lazarus. Yeah, he said. If you watch the video, McDavid shrugs nine times in about 60 seconds. Uh, the body language wasn't great. The response was lukewarm. Like, what did you make of Connor McDavid basically giving a giant shrug to Evander Kane potentially joining the Oilers? Well, I mean, it was a shrug, but it was also a, a shrug accompanied by an endorsement. Uh, you know, him saying that, yeah, you know, a shrug, Ken Holland was, can, can go and do that. It was a shrug endorsement. That's yes, what we're going to call that's it. That's exactly shrug what it was. 
So, you know, which and that was disappointing to a lot of people because I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen Connor McDavid stand up there and say, no, we we don't want this guy on the team. We know what he's you know been accused of both with with COVID, with uh, with other things, his treatment of women. Um, this is this is not a guy that that we want on the team. And, you know, even if he can score goals and help us win, some things are more important than that. Um, I think that's what a lot of people were hoping for. I think those people were destined to be disappointed. I mean, that's just not really um, the hockey player mindset. And uh, it's, uh, you know, what I saw from Connor McDavid is it was about 80% a guy trying to do the hockey thing of, of not really saying anything. Um, and 20%, a guy who, as we've all known for a while is, is very frustrated with how things have, have been going in Edmonton. He sees another season slipping away and, and just wants his GM to bring in some help one way or another. Um, and, uh, it, it certainly seems like if the Oilers aren't the front runner, they're, they're pretty close. And from a purely hockey perspective that it probably makes sense. Obviously, when you're talking to Vander Kane, you're there. It's a lot more than just the hockey perspective, and uh, you know, I'm I'm all for second chances. Uh, I I think we all should be, but this is this is well beyond a second chance. We're on to fourth and fifth and sixth chances here, and at uh, at some point, you would think it's uh, enough is going to be enough, but uh, I guess we haven't reached that point, and we'll see how it goes. You know, we we see this in hockey, we see this in all sports, right? Where guys become available, and there's uh, um, there's lots of red flags, but they can help a team win. And, uh, you know, the, the, the example that I think is, is maybe at the top of everyone's mind, just because it's recent is Antonio Brown. He signs with, with Tampa. Everybody says this isn't going to end well. Fast forward to a few weeks ago. It doesn't end well. It ends terribly. We have this, uh, ridiculous situation with him walking out on the team in the middle of a game, um, throwing bombs at, at the team and its leadership on the way out, uh, you know, just, just ends as badly as it could possibly end, just like everyone thought. But in between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win a championship with, with Antonio Brown. And, uh, I, I think when you're, whether you're Ken Holland or any other GM that's under the gun to get your team to contending, that's probably what you're thinking of is, uh, you know, I'll bring this guy in maybe short term, maybe we don't commit past this year, but just help me win. Um, and we will, overlook all the other stuff because that's what we tend to do in in sports let, let me ask you this too we're talking about this from a team's perspective if, if you're a team would you bring in evander kane and what i want just for a second let's put ourselves in kane's skates okay if you're evander kane sean would you rather sign at edmonton potentially pump up your statistical profile playing riding shotgun with Connor mcdavid or maybe it's leon dreisaitl but you're, you're going to be put in a situation where you're probably playing with one of the two or three best players in the game. Or would you rather go to Tampa and maybe you're like a, just a quiet piece and get a chance to win a cup and you can prove to everybody, Hey, I'm not disruptive. If you've got a good culture, I can be a good fit. And like, if you're a Vander Kane, would you rather go and play with Connor McDavid and maybe show to the world that you're still an elite player? Or would you rather go to Tampa and try to win a Stanley cup and prove you can be a quiet Kind of uh, bottom six might be a stretch, but but a more of a, a complimentary player. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what Evander Kane would want. I'm not in his head. Uh, players prioritize winning and and things differently. Um, if I'm his agent, I'd rather him go to Edmonton and put up big numbers. I, I don't know that um, if he's going to hit the open market 
this summer, uh, I don't know that having quietly been a, a third line guy uh, in Tampa uh, is is going to increase the market value all that much versus if you see him performing like an actual elite player um, in Edmonton, then, you know, and, and also the possibility that he could go into Edmonton, they start winning, people suddenly start saying, okay, Evander Kane turned them around, that becomes the narrative versus a team like Tampa that's already fantastic. And you say, well, did that did that really change anything? Because there's going to be a lot of teams uh, in the offseason under pressure to improve. And if they can look at a guy that, oh, he he saved the Oilers' season, maybe he can do that here. Um, that's probably what I would prefer if if I was his agent and just wanted to to guide him to the decision that's going to make him the most money with his next contract if he gets one. Uh, before we get to uh, Jesse Granger is going to drop by here for the return of Granger things. just want to hit on a couple of uh Quick things from around the league, Sean. Tuka Rask is scheduled to come back to Boston uh, Thursday evening, returning after missing months. He's had the the bad hip, had to go undergo surgery. He comes back to Boston. Uh, does this alter your view of the Bruins? Like, if Rask can get back to being the Rask that we've seen in the past, does this change your opinion of Boston and where they stand? They're they're obviously headed to the playoffs, but does this alter your view of them as a contender? Yeah, it might because uh, you know the the Bruins are just kind of quietly lurking along, looking like a playoff team. The the focus in the Atlantic has been on that that top three race with Toronto, Tampa, and Florida, uh, and and then the Bruins are a little bit back and and look further back than that because they're so far behind in games played. Um, the question with the Bruins is this season so far has been goaltending, and and it's still a question because to harass we at his age. Given his health history, we have no idea what we're going to get here. This this may not work, um, but it might. And you know, as as you phrased it, if he comes back and he looks like the Tuukka Rask of old, which is to say, an elite uh, top ten, maybe even top five goaltender in the league, I, I think absolutely that has to. Uh, at the very least, it turns the Bruins into that wild card team that nobody wants to play. You get to the end of the year and you're looking at the standings going, yeah, we're going to win our division, but oh man, we got to play the Bruins in round one. Um, I don't think anyone wants, wants a part of that. If, if Tuka Rask is, is as good as he can be, least of all the Maple Leafs given the history there. So um, yeah, I, I think we're all sleeping a little bit on the Bruins and uh, this move, if it works, that's a big if, but if it does, it, it'll, it'll wake us up. One other thing I want to hit on, because this to me was a, a fascinating piece of audio that dropped courtesy of the Cam and Strick uh, podcast. Andy Strickland and uh, Cam Jansen do that out of uh, St. Louis. Uh, and they had Bob Clark on their podcast on uh, Cam and Strick. And have a listen for our audience that didn't catch this. Uh, Bob Clark ripping into Ron Hextall and basically saying that the Flyers scouts wanted to draft Kale McCarr. And it was Ron Hextall who overruled uh, them and selected Nolan Patrick instead. Have a listen. This is a rather interesting piece of audio uh, that was uh, dropped earlier this week. He alienated everybody right away. He shut his door. He locked the doors. He was the boss, and nobody else was part of it. We end up drafting. We get the second pick in the draft, and we end up drafting Nolan Patrick. None of our scouts wanted Nolan Patrick. It wasn't, I mean, I don't know where Patrick should have gone after his performances in Brown, and he's a pretty good player, but he certainly, they had, uh, they wanted Makar. Of course, he went next. Now he's a superstar, and Patrick Patrick hasn't played number, but Hexel made that choice himself. 
And there were other choices that were made in our drafts that we're paying for. You know, we've got two or three first-round picks that are never going to play. And that's why we're, we're struggling. Hexy made some huge mistakes. And, and hey, he, he gave the Blues Braden Shen, too, you know? So, I mean, you know, so... That was just as bad. You know, we were... Nobody knew it. Hexy made that on his own. All our scouts, it was at the draft. Our scouts were so mad at Hexy for doing that. We also had a chance to get O'Reilly from Buffalo, but we didn't. Obviously... That was the manager's decision, but it was another one that the scouts weren't consulted on. All right, Sean. One thing we've learned about hockey, and the Flyers would be a great example of this, it's rare that you kind of take a shot at your own. Like, like the Flyers are pretty tight-knit. Like, to see Bob Clark publicly ripping Ron Hextall, to me, was eye-opening. And, uh, man, I, I don't even know what to say. It was It was quite an eye-opening comment, jaw-dropping, that Bob Clark would sell Ron Hextall down the the road, a river like this, because you're telling people now, I we should have had Kel McCarr, and, and we, you know, we'll get into Kel McCarr here with, with Jesse in a second, but I I can't believe that he would publicly just, just do this. Do you, can you? you? Well, you don't hear it often, but I think if you had said last week that, you know, that uh, we're gonna we're gonna see a, a, a well-known NHL name throw somebody from his team under the bus. You thought, no way! And then if you said it's Bob Clark, he yeah, might have gone. A good yeah, point. okay. I mean, you know, we know the the Eric Lindros history, the Roger Nielsen comment, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, look, it's in an interesting peek behind the scenes. Some of the stuff that he's saying about you know was Ron Hextel too closed off? Was he closed door? You know, my, my way or the highway? Maybe a lot of managers are are like that in in all. Uh, uh, you know, in any industry. So uh, it wouldn't shock me if uh, you see that in the NHL and maybe Ron Hextel was that sort of guy. I, I will say this. I don't buy this idea that all the scouts want to kill McCarr and that Ron Hextel picked Nolan Patrick. I went back. I looked at the draft rankings, um, 2017 draft. Every single ranking had Nolan Patrick first or second. That was a, easily a consensus, um, a consensus pick. Um, Kale McCarr ranked anywhere from fourth, where he ultimately went on a couple of listings, to uh, well down. Um, he was, I think, 10th in the official North American skater rankings. Um, some of the rankings, including our own Corey Pryman, had him as low as 18th. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't a scout out there somewhere saying this guy's better than Nolan Patrick, but the idea that this team unanimously wanted this guy over the consensus number two, if not number one prospect in the draft. I don't really buy. Uh, he also goes on to say that uh, that McCarr got picked with the next pick, and and he didn't. It was Miro Heiskanen who got picked with the next pick. And a lot of people now are, I, I even saw someone saying, actually, it was Heiskanen that the, the Flyers scouts were were interested in. So it's Bobby Clark might not even have his details right here. But I'm I'm not really buying it. And And I think if you look at, Ron Hextel's draft record in the the five drafts, I think it was, that he was uh, the GM for, it's not bad uh, for the Flyers. It's not great, but he, you know, he got some good guys, even Provorov, uh, Carter Hart in the second round. Uh, you know, his his drafting record isn't awful. So I think there's there's clearly something personal here, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to defend Ron Hextel as having done a great job in Philadelphia, but I'm not really buying what uh, Bobby Clark is selling here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, it is time for us to uh, reintroduce Granger Things, brought to you by our good friends at BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us at The Athletic. And uh, we welcome him back after he was away for a week. It's Jesse Granger. Welcome back, my friend. Happy, I guess a very belated Happy New Year to you. Great to have you back in the saddle here in 2022. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Last week was uh, was crazy, running back and forth from jury duty at the courthouse to the arena, back to the courthouse. It was uh, one of the busier weeks of the entire season for the Golden Knights in terms of games, so the perfect week for me to get jury duty. So, I mean, like this wasn't, again, we know that you can't give us details on the, right. the, the, the case, but this wasn't one. See, Sean and I were thinking... Oh my God! Is is Granger sequestered in a hotel? He can't get out. And what happens in Vegas if you're in a court case and you get sequestered? Are they putting you up at like the Mirage, at like the Bellagio, or are you somewhere else? Like, how does this work in in Vegas? Yeah. So I was luckily this was not a major case where I had to be sequestered. So I was I did miss pra- I think I missed more practices last week than I had in four years covering the Golden Knights, but. Um, I was able to go to the games. I wasn't locked in a hotel. I don't know where they would keep you. It definitely would not be the Bellagio. Um, the courthouse in Vegas is downtown. So it's like old Vegas, like the Golden Oof. Nugget, Fremont, yeah. those kind of casinos. Um, I don't even know if you'd be at one of those. I really don't know. Um, it would not be on the strip, though. Uh, endless shrimp cocktail. There you go. Right. <laughs> All right. So listen, you, you talk about this being a busy week for you. And of course, uh, it, it comes with Jack Eichel being back in the news. And and Eichel kind of did his one media availability. What he says will be my only time I speak to everybody until I'm I'm ready to play again. So what was your takeaway? And, and do we have a better sense now, Jesse, of the timeline involving Jack Eichel and when we might see him suit up for a regular season game? Yeah, it was exciting. Luckily, I was able to make that practice. That was uh, probably the most anticipated one of the season. He was out there looking like himself. I mean, he looked he looked pretty tired uh, towards the end of it. First time he's been skating on his own. But when you get out there with other guys and you've got to keep up pace and, and there's actually conditioning drills, uh, you could tell he was feeling it a little bit, but still had that same wicked release that he's always had um, that kind of jumped off the page. He Speaking with him, he he doesn't want to put a timeline on it. Um, that's not surprising. He said the Golden Knights have not asked him for a possible return date. They're kind of taking all the pressure off of him and just letting him whenever he feels good. He kept saying it's a feeling thing. It's when I feel confident. It's when I feel like I can be the the player I want to be. But I think the one thing he did say that kind of gave us a glimpse into his mind was um, someone asked him about the Olympics, um, not related to his rehab, just about how disappointing it is that, that NHL players aren't going. And, and Jack mentioned, I think his exact words were, I wouldn't say I was, I was going to be healthy and ready to play in the Olympics, but I also wouldn't say I wasn't. Um, and so, so I think that and like the Olympics start here in what? Two weeks, three weeks, two or three. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I don't think Eichel's going to be on the ice before the Olympic break, but I do think it's a realistic possibility that he's back on the ice when the NHL teams resume play. And obviously, there are going to be a lot of makeup games. Um, the Golden Knights only have two, well, four now. Now that here coming up, this this next upcoming Canadian road trip has been canceled. So. 
They have a lot fewer makeup games than most of the teams, so I don't know how often they're going to be playing in the month of February. They only had like two games scheduled in the month of February prior to uh, rescheduling. So I think a legit possible return date for Jack Eichel is uh, coming off that uh, initial uh, Olympic break. Um, when he comes, when the Golden Knights come back, I could see him on the ice then, maybe a little bit after that, but it's still pretty miraculous. Um, it's it's hard to believe how fast he recovered. I mean, he said he went to dinner the night he had the surgery. He went to dinner with his parents, um, which is crazy to me. You would think putting an artificial disc in a spine would require you to stay in the hospital for a lot longer, but he said this thing's been pretty smooth, and, and it looks like he's going to be back on back in game action pretty quick. And. Now they they can say that hey, you know it's it's up to you Jack but they do have to make some roster moves to to fit him in under the cap. It's not like he can just walk into the coach's office one morning and say yeah I think I'm ready to play tonight. Uh they need to either swap someone else onto the long-term injured reserve or probably more likely at this point make a trade. Uh and you know we're always told that gosh these trades take so long to put together is it like how much of a scramble or do you get the sense that it would be a scramble or do the Golden Knights have a plan in their back pocket that they're they're just waiting to move on? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to assume that Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee have 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 been thinking about this from the moment they traded for Jack Eichel, what they're going to do in this situation. And you have to assume that they do have some sort of plan. But I think that their plan is fluid. Um, and, and like you said, it's because of the other injuries. Like right now, Jack Eichel actually could walk out and step on the ice and play because they have Max Pacioretty and Alec Martinez both out with long-term injured reserve and Pacioretty makes 7 million. Martinez makes 5 million. That's more than enough to fit Jack Eichel in there. The problem is those guys are going to be back eventually too. And, and when they are, they're going to have to move some space. It looks like it's going to be like if everyone were healthy and they waived some guys to get down to the 23-man roster, obviously, because they're, they're at more than that right now with all those guys on LTIR. Um, it looks like they're going to have to wait to, to get rid of about six, maybe seven million, um, which is a lot to move. But if a guy gets hurt between now and then that's worth four million, all of a sudden you've only got to move two million. So like it's it's definitely a moving target. And and like right now, Max Pacioretty, he went he underwent wrist surgery. Um, my understanding from talking to everyone around that is that they do not expect him to miss the rest of the regular season. So if he was were going to, then you would say, okay, Kucherov situation, they'll just play without him and then he'll come back in the playoffs and there's no cap and there'll be seven million over. But I don't think that's going to be the case with Max Pacioretty. Alec Martinez's injury is a little grayer. Um, he got cut in the face with a skate blade. We all kind of expected him to be back a couple days later and he hasn't. It's been months and he hasn't played. Um, Pete DeBoer hasn't flat out said it's a concussion, but he has said some things like, well, there are symptoms with the head when you get a boot to the face and we're trying to figure those things out. Like he said some things that make lead you to believe that Alec Martinez could be out with a concussion. And as we know, as we've seen with other players, like that could last a couple days that could last for the rest of the season. You never know. So um, the Golden Knights have had so many injuries this year. I think that's going to play a, a factor in who they do have to trade, but it does seem like at some point they're going to have to trade some legitimate salary off this team. Well, as as you mentioned, look, Jack Eichel is not going to uh, to be available. It's all a moot point now about the Olympics and Team USA, but as the American team gets set to be unveiled and we know the other uh, teams in the, in the men's tournament will be unveiled here in the days to come, it's going to be really interesting to see how this, uh, how this tournament plays out and the odds, I would imagine... 
have altered based on the way we looked at them when we thought the NHLers were were uh, in the mix, and now that we know there won't be NHLers. So where's some smart money? If somebody's looking to, to make uh, the Olympics uh, a little interesting for themselves, what are we looking at here in terms of money lines heading into uh, the Winter Olympics on the uh, the men's side? Yeah, I know that we're all disappointed that we aren't going to get NHL players in this best-on-best best international tournament that we were all excited for for years, but... I got to be honest, I think taking the NHLers out actually makes it a more exciting tournament in terms of just the results, because you suddenly don't have these two powerhouses in Canada and the U.S. and, and Sweden to some point. Um, Russia is now the favorite at plus 165, so $100 bet would win you, would win you 165 bucks. Finland is the second favorite at plus 450. Sweden right there at plus 450. Then finally, you get to Canada at 6-1. to one plus 600. The Czech Republic is at 900 and the U S is at 14 to one right now. Um, that is pretty crazy. It's going to be interesting to see how those odds change as we get these rosters. I think Canada and the U S might have some players with some big names, especially some prospects in the U S side. Um, I know the golden Knights top prospect, Brendan Brisson, he's a first round pick. He might be playing for team USA. They're going to have some exciting names. Maybe those odds don't change. So if you're going to bet on Canada or the U S um, if you think that they can still win this thing, even with the amateurs, uh, I would bet them now before the rosters come out, which I think that could be as early as today for the U.S. So um, if I was if you were going to bet a North American team, I would bet them now before those rosters come out. I think Russia jumps immediately to the forefront just because there's no country that has non like more talent outside of the NHL than Russia because the KHL is so popular there because they keep talent. You see like you see guys all the time that are that are superstars in the KHL that we say, wow, that guy could be a top six player in the NHL. You don't basically see that anywhere else in the world. So I think Russia is clearly the favorite. Um, The other thing that's interesting is China is one thousand to one to win this thing. I do not expect I wouldn't put a dollar on that, but I just as I was going through the odds, I couldn't help but not, I had to, I had to at least mention China is a thousand to one. I don't think I've ever seen odds like that um, in a in a tournament this small. Wow! Is it is all the betting? Is it gold medal only, or can you get any uh, odds on a team two medal or specific medal or any props or anything like that, or is it just gold or or nothing? That's a good question. On BetMGM, all I can see right now in terms of futures for the Olympics is just gold medal. So maybe as it gets closer, there may be like some other. Books, I mean, offshore books, you can bet pretty much anything. Um, but yeah, for, yeah. for betting, because I got, I I got China as my silver medal favorite, so I can't, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta wait. You, what you need to do is see if you've got them for your silver medal, you just bet them at a thousand to one. Yeah. Then when they get to the gold medal game, you can hedge and bet the crap out of the other side, and you've automatically won money. There you go. I like that. Hey, one other uh, future we wanted to, to hit on before we let you go, Jesse, and that uh, boy, Kale McCard feels like he's a human highlight reel. Uh, these days, I would imagine it's uh, pretty much a lock that all the money is headed on him uh, or on him to win the Norris. I'm wondering, though, uh, are we getting some some chatter about Kale McCarr and the Hart Trophy and maybe something else outside of outside of the Norris right now? Yeah. So as you mentioned, he's been absolutely ridiculous. He's, uh, to me, the most fun player in hockey to watch right now. Um, we, we always ooh and ah over Connor McDavid's skating, and his skating is the fastest of anyone in the world, but it still looks like ice skating. Kale McCarr doesn't look like he's ice skating. 
Um, there, there are plays he makes where I didn't know you could move that direction on ice. Um, I didn't know you could change directions like that while going that speed. He's been pretty incredible. Um, most goals in his first 30 games by any defenseman since Bobby Orr in 1975. Um, you, you mentioned the, the Norris. He's plus 200 to win the Norris, so two to one, basically. Um, he is by far the, the runaway favorite. The percent of money actually just got updated this morning. It's kind of insane. So Connor McDavid is the runaway favorite to win the heart. And 61.2% of the money bet at MGM on the heart trophy is on Connor McDavid. So just to give you some perspective, 61%. For the Norris, 81.6% of every dollar put on the Norris trophy in Las Vegas for bet MGM has been on Kale McCarr. Um, That's pretty insane. Um, The the book would get slammed if he were to win that. Um, And then when you go to heart... um, I don't have his he didn't pop up on um, in terms of like the money bet. So right now the money is not on him for the heart. So if you want to get on that, you'd be early. Um, He's 50 to one to win the heart right now, which is incredible odds. I mean, there are there are probably 15 guys above him um, in terms of the odds to win the heart. In my mind, I don't think that's a bad bet right now. 50 to one, because I think. It's going to be tough for him to to compete with the numbers that McDavid and Ovechkin put up. But I do think that, I mean, the guy is on pace to do something that, like, puts him up there with Bobby Orr. And I think you get towards the end of the season, I think narratives play a lot into these awards. And I think if you look at Kale McCarr and we're coming down to the last 10 games of the season and he's possibly chasing some sort of... Bobby Orr milestone, um, he's going to be in there, right? Like he's going to be a yep. finalist for the heart. If if that if that's the case, if we, I mean, we're only a third of the way into the season, but if he's still on this Bobby Orr pace at the end of the season, he's absolutely going to be in consideration for the heart. So at fifty to one, um, that seems like it would be a pretty good uh, value to to take I, that right now. Yeah, I'd, I'd jump on that at at those odds because here's the other thing, right? And this this would have felt. Stunning to say even a couple weeks ago, but if the Edmonton Oilers miss the playoffs, there's a lot of hard voters who will not vote for somebody who misses the playoffs or will move guys down their ballots. So um, that could kind of blow the whole thing wide open. I will say this, though, the, the you know, the Hart Trophy famously is is basically an award for forwards. It doesn't it. The last defenseman to win the heart was Chris Pronger in 2000. And I'm going to read you the top five forwards on that St. Louis Blues team in scoring. They they were led by Pavel Dimitra, who had 75 points, uh, a 30-year-old Pierre Turgeon, Michael Hanzu, Scott Young, and Lubars Barteko were the top five uh, forwards scoring. So you compare that to the Colorado Avalanche with Nathan McKinnon and Mikko Rantanen and the, the talent that they have. I could see some voters saying, man, that team's so stacked. Are you really the most valuable versus a guy like Chris Bronger where that, I mean, he, it was him and Al McKinnis just carrying that blues team. Uh, it's pretty dicey. So I, I think he's a long shot, but 50 to one long shot. No way. I did that. That feels way too generous to me. And I think when, like, I totally agree with the forward talent. I think it assists, like if, if he was putting up all these points with assists, you, I think that that would be more important, right? Like, mm-hmm. well, he's just getting the puck up to these up, up to these superstars. But McCarr scoring goals like he, like it's insane how how many goals. I mean, he's at 16 right now. There are only two other defensemen in the league with more than double digit. Um, and I think, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Roman Yossi with 12 and Ekblad with 10. And he's at 16 already. And he's played. And, and they're ridiculous. Pretty much Every everyone. day I, I go on Twitter and there's like some new highlight where I'm like, 
how did he do that? That's crazy. So, yeah. He's fun to watch. Is he, is he the best defenseman in the NHL right now? Like, hands down? I don't know about hands down. Look, look, I think you get a lot of Florida fans telling you Aaron Ekblad has really um, elevated his game. And I think t- some Tampa fans would... T- I guess... I guess it's an interesting question, right? If you had to pick one defenseman, you got a game seven tonight. Would you go Victor Hedman? Would you go, uh, would you go Kale McCarr? Would like, it's a great question. And I think it depends on your philosophy. I think a lot of people would go Victor Hedman if they had one game to win tonight. But I, 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 what, what McCarr is doing, it's like, he's a wizard out there and, I think it's great for the game. I'd probably lean McCarr, but there's probably two or three other defensemen in, in the conversation. Yeah, big-bodied guys. That McCarr's not clearing out the front of the net as well as Hedman is, but yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I'd take McCarr too. Yep. Me too. Here's where Sean says, actually, and here's why Morgan Riley deserves to be <laughs> Well, I mean, it, as I learned this week, Thomas Shabbat's apparently the best defenseman in the entire oh, world, man. so I, I, he's got to be in the conversation too, right, Sens fans? Oh boy, here we go. All right. Hey Jesse, we'll leave it there. Uh, appreciate uh, appreciate the visit. Great to have you back in the in the mix and uh, we'll hit you up again next Thursday. Yeah, thanks for having me guys. Thanks Jesse. All right, great to get uh, Jesse Granger back in the mix. And you know what? You did mention uh Ottawa Senators fans and Thomas Shabbat. I feel like we, I just want to hit on your column this week because it was an interesting. You had salary cap uh court back in session where you looked at a handful of players around the league and asked the question, is their contract good or bad? And apparently you drew the ire of some Ottawa Senators fans for suggesting that Thomas Shabbat's eight year, $64 million contract could potentially be bad. What I think is interesting is you came down to the conclusion at the end of the day, you're like, ah, actually, you know what? It's not a bad contract. Like, is he a touch overpaid for what he produces? Yeah, maybe, but it's not a bad contract. And yet, there's a lot of people that were angry that you even brought it up into yep. into the discussion, right? Yeah, and, and look, the, the point of the piece is to take guys who are kind of in that gray area. I, you know, I had people say, well, how come you're not talking about uh, Jeff Skinner? You're not talking, well, because those contracts are clearly bad. Nobody's debating uh, a lot of those ones. I wanted to yeah. pick some where I felt like there was potentially some debate. And I will tell you, like I've, uh, as an Ottawa guy, uh, who's, you know, not a Sens fan, but, you know, I'm out there, I, I hear from a lot of fans on things. I've had people ask me that. They're like, what's the deal with Tom Schreiber? Like, this guy is, you know, he's he's good, but why is he one of the 10 highest paid defensemen in the entire league? And so I put him in there. And my conclusion was it's not a bad contract. In fact, I, I concluded that much more, uh, you know, I, I think out of the five guys I, I had in the piece, that was the easiest one for me was to say, no, it's not a bad deal. But Here's the argument why it could be. Here's why I don't think it is. And that's that. And uh, there, there's you probably know this as, as well as anybody. When you put stuff out there, uh, there's different types of feedback you get. Sometimes people are angry. Sometimes people disagree. They can be respectful. They can be not. But there's that weird moment where you get feedback that doesn't seem to match what you actually said. And then you realize, oh, there's probably like somebody posted this on a forum or Reddit somewhere and people haven't read the piece. They've just read the headline and they're mad about that. And I, I, I think, I hope that that's what was going on. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I defended your boy, Sense fans. I, I don't, uh, I don't get why you're, why you're frustrated, unless you believe that he's, he's, uh, you know, that the contract is completely beyond any debate. In which case, I tell you, uh, 
other fan bases don't feel that way. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm on your side, but if you think it's it's not something that anyone out there is even questioning, then uh, I I got bad news for you. Yeah, and again, I th- people should check it out. It's it's a great column that looks at, like you said, it's those gray area ones. It's not the yeah. it's the the guy like you said, Jeff Skinner is probably the best example of that, or you know, PK Subban this season, or you know, pick a guy that you think is making way too much. That's that's not a fun debate. There there is no debate. A debate is something yeah. that legitimately you can look at two sides of something and then try to come down with a with a you know a firm conclusion at the end of looking at all the facts. So I I, yeah. anyway, I thought and- I thought it was good. Yeah, and I mean, like I say, Shabbat's the tie for the tenth highest cap hit in the league. Is he the tenth best defenseman in the league? I, I can't imagine anybody would would try to make that case right now. So it's it's worth discussing. But like I say, I I came down on the same side as Sens fans, so it was uh, it was a little strange to have my phone blowing up with uh, guys with Sens logos in their uh, in their Twitter uh, picture uh, yeah. calling me an idiot. But that's uh, how it goes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's get into some some mailbag. Actually, we'll take one mailbag question this week, uh, and this one comes in from Kevin. I want to remind our listeners: if you do have a question for us, we love uh, answering your questions and queries and and anything you've got ideas. We love quirky, weird ideas too for uh, for rule changes and and the way that the game is done. Uh, so you can you can drop us an email. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Or you can give us a phone call at 845-445-8459. Kevin has a question. This is something that I think has been nagging at us for a long time. Sean, I know you in particular don't love when people are talking about uh, teams being 500. When really you've lost more games than you have, it's like fake 500. Well, Kevin says... I just wonder why is the NHL determined to stand out as the only pro sports league to sully its own reputation by assigning standings based not on wins and losses, but on points. And I say that because some games are worth two points and some games are worth three. And Kevin says, um, you know, why doesn't the league just base its standings on who won the most games? And then in the event of a tie at the end of the year, you just look at uh, the fewest number of regulation losses to determine who deserves to be higher in the standings. To me, it wouldn't alter the standings all that much, but it could certainly have an impact on the wildcard spots, and it would certainly eliminate the greatest insult to math, as we know it, which is a team said to be above 500 when, in reality, they've lost more games than they've won. What do you think about that? So that comes in from Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certainly on board with what he's saying about 500 and, and how ridiculous it is that some games are worth more points than others. And, uh, you know, he, he doesn't even really touch on the fact that we clearly see in the third period of tied games, that teams start clamping down and playing for the tie. And it, it becomes a, you know, very often very boring hockey. The final minute, you just got some defenseman standing behind his net with the puck with no one near him because everybody wants to get the overtime. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of reasons I don't like it. Um, I, it's, he, he's right. The NHL is the only of, of the big four North American sports, although soccer, I believe also has a, a point system that they use, although they use their point system to incentivize teams to go for the win, not to go for the tie. So it, it kind of has the opposite effect. Um, the, the reason the NHL is the only league with, with points is because for the longest time we had ties and, and ties were worth half a win. And, and that was the easiest way to do it. I think you could absolutely make a case that now that we don't have ties anymore, we should just go by wins and losses, same as uh, same as every other league does. Um, the argument against it would be that even though 
three on three overtimes entertaining. And even though there there's maybe a handful of people out there that still like the shootout, that those shouldn't count as real losses that, that if you, uh, you know, you should still get something because to lose in a shootout, uh, is, is kind of like losing a coin flip and it's, uh, it's, it's not fair that you get nothing. And, uh, you know, it, it, that's what, if you believe that, that's why you need to go to the, the three, two, one system. And then you, you know, you're still getting something for those losses, but we're incentivizing going for the win. Um, or you could just, just flat out go for the win and, uh, and say, that's it. We're, we're treating all wins and losses the same. It would be easier for new fans to understand, uh, it would make a lot more sense. Um, I'd, I'd be fine with either of those solutions. Um, I think either one of them would be better than the the mess that we have now. But as far as his his real question of why isn't the NHL doing this, because the NHL is run by the GMs, and the GMs love that they have this uh, these fake standings pages that inflate their records and make it look like they're doing better than they are. Uh, and and that's that's simply it. It has nothing to do with keeping the playoff races closer. It has nothing to do with all these other excuses the NHL throws out there that, that don't even make sense if you think about them. It's the GMs like, uh, the, the GMs know that they are measured by their one loss record. And so they figured out a way to game the system and, and have a fake one loss record that looks better than it is. And it's uh, it, it would take real leadership for somebody to come in and take that away from them and Clearly, that hasn't been the case yet. All right. So, Kevin, we appreciate that question and want to encourage anybody else. Like I said, uh, we love the questions from our listeners. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Drop us your question. We'll tackle it uh, at some point down the road in a future uh, podcast episode. Let's wrap it up as we always do with a little This Week in Hockey History. Sean, let's pick a couple of dates here from January, this week in January in hockey history. I want to start with this one. We'll go back to 1976. And to give our listeners a little bit, of, especially our younger listeners, a little bit of a perspective here, understand that in the, in the mid-1970s, the Soviet Red Army team would come over and in the middle of the NHL regular season would play these hotly contested, fierce games against NHL teams. Like imagine if like right now, randomly in the NHL schedule, like, oh, by the way, like, uh, you know, St. Petersburg is coming from the KHL and there's, there'd be this spirited game against yeah. the St. Louis Blues in the middle it's of January. You, not, yeah. not like, you know, an exhibition game where everyone's going half speed and trying yeah. not to get hurt. This was, this was, I mean, these games in some cases were more intense than a typical NHL game because, right. I mean, this is the sad, the Soviets are still the enemy, you know, and, and even if you get past that, they're, you know, the, the other side of the hockey world, they play this different style and we got to show them that we're really the best and, you know, all the lingering stuff from 72. And yeah, th- this was, nobody was fooling around in these games. These were high intensity. Yeah. And on January 11th, 1976, the Philadelphia Flyers hosted the Soviet Red Army team at the game at the Old Spectrum. Flyers, of course, were the, at the time, the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And were known as the Broad Street Bullies. And in the middle of that game, Sean, the Flyers were doing what the Flyers always did back in the day, which was run around and they were being physically intimidating. They were running guys. And the Soviet Union, and Viktor Tikhonov was their head coach, the Red Army team. He pulled his team off the ice in the middle of the game. And there's the infamous clip of Bob Cole. Um, Yeah, they're going home. They're going home. The Philadelphia Flyers are running around and they're going home. And And the Soviet Union team... Had to be, and as the story goes, Sean, uh, we're basically told, 
through a translator. Okay, you guys can leave. If you do, you're not getting your money. You're not getting your share of the gate and all the things. That, so they had to come back out on the ice. The Flyers ran roughshod over them, beat them 4-1. Here's my question, though, for you. Were the Soviet Union's forward thinkers, were they ahead of their time for calling out this type of play? Because back in the day, we were all bloodthirsty hockey fans. Like, take them out. And now, it feels like a lot of fans have switched and said, you know what? The game doesn't need that. It should be a beautiful game with skill and a little bit of physicality, but that type of stuff should have been outlawed. Should we? Should some revisionist history be done and say, you know what? The Soviet Union should be applauded for trying to call this out back in the day. I mean, they they were ahead of their time, certainly in the sense that, I mean, hockey today doesn't resemble 1970s hockey at all. I mean, and, and you know, when we talk about the Flyers running around, like they were a real tough team. They could hit, they could fight, they could also hack and slash and and be very dirty. Uh, you know, for all the the we like to think back then that uh, in North America we were tough and it was the Europeans were dirty. No, no, I, the, the Flyers could could break an ankle just as as easily as they as they break their break your nose. Uh, and yeah, I mean, hockey has evolved from then um, certainly to resemble far more what the what the Soviet program looked like than, than what we were doing over here. So in that sense, yeah, uh, forward thinkers. At the same time, they knew exactly what they signed up for when they showed up in Philadelphia and they got halfway through the game and didn't like it and they quit and went home uh, or tried to at least. So um, I don't know that we we need to revise our, our views of that game uh, too much, um, even as we concede that, uh, you know, all these years later, um, this is... Uh, it, the the style the broad street bully style of play is is no longer um part of the nhl and and the soviet style is is much more prevalent uh, you know can you even imagine now like do you ever think i don't think it'll ever happen again we'll never get an nhl team like first of all like we we don't even see nhl exhibition games anymore against uh teams from other leagues like we even saw that a little bit in the 90s right like some teams would go yeah over you, to you Europe see it a little play. bit when they when they do like the opening season you know they'll send a team over to Europe and sometimes they'll play an exhibition against you know one of the club teams there but it's it's rare and it's and it gets very little attention over here because it's just viewed yeah. as a warm-up game that they're heaven yeah no i i yeah it's 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 crazy to think that they were doing this in the middle of the regular season like these it would yeah and, 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 and they're this fierce games they were they were a game seven intensity like yeah off the charts and you know even later they they did this you know i remember going to one in maple leaf gardens where it was uh i think it was moscow dynamo came over to to play the leafs not as intense back then uh you know things had things had calmed down a bit but um still it was you, Certainly, compared to what you see now, when you when you put exhibition in in front of uh, in front of a game and, and NHL players, everyone kind of slows down to half speed. You know, there was there was some pride on the line. There, you, people wanted to prove that uh, uh, that uh, you know, are this style was the best style, and uh, this country had the best players. And it was uh, it, it it would be hard for I think a fan today to imagine uh, what those games were like back then. Yeah, let, let me throw one more this week in hockey history at you, and that is January 11th, 1985. Uh, Edmonton Oilers forward Pat Hughes becomes the first player uh, to break an NHL record that was previously held by Wayne Gretzky. Uh, Gretzky, up until 1985, uh, for a little window, had held the record for the fastest two shorthanded goals 
in NHL history. Gretzky had scored two in 27 seconds during his uh, unbelievable 1981-82 season, which, by the way, like I didn't realize, like, Gretzky was killing penalties back in the day, too, which is sure. mind-blowing to me, right? Yeah, why not? Get was he blocking care. shots? I mean, like, can you even, no, like, he nobody was blocking, blocking shots. shots back then. There was, no. It, no, it was Craig Ludwig was the only one. Yeah. And uh, he, with, his, <laughs> with his couch cushions on his legs. Uh, no, I don't think Wayne Gretzky was blocking shots. And, and he wasn't, I mean, honestly, he, he was barely even, killing penalties it's not like he's back there in a box uh you know breaking up passes he's just sitting there going all right we got one less guy but i'm still gonna score on you and usually he did yeah so hughes breaks a gretzky record and scores two goals in 25 seconds and it got me thinking okay well obviously we know that gretzky's all-time goal record is within reach of alexander ovechkin is are there any other wayne gretzky records sean that are potentially within reach or that you know you could see another Gretzky record fall at some point. I, you know what, I I called up a, a page that has all of his records, and I I figured I'd be able to find a few. I don't know. There's any of the single season ones, barring a a massive change in how the game is played, are are out of reach. Any of the 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 rate based one, you know, the goals or assists or whatever per game, I think are out of reach. Um, there is, I mean, most career overtime assists. He has 15. I could see somebody getting to that maybe, especially since we're encouraging so much more overtime and overtime is higher scoring. Uh, he, Doug Gilmore is second on that one. So, you know, some, somebody, and he, he had 13. So somebody got close. I could maybe see that one. The one that I, I think is, you know, is, is going to be tied is, uh, he holds the record for most 40 goal seasons. He had 12 and, and I believe Alexander Ovechkin will have his 12th this year if he gets there. So again, it's, it's goal scoring and it's Ovechkin again. Um, yeah. but beyond that, I mean, I, you got to really dig down. I, I think there was one where it was like points in a period in the playoffs or something was like three or four. I, maybe somebody gets that. Um, Oh, here's here's the other one that I that I I did find was uh, he holds the record for the most assists in the Stanley Cup final, and he had ten in a in a in a series. I could see somebody, you know, a seven game series. Could somebody get a you know an assist and a half a game? I could see somebody doing that. Uh, Gretzky did it in a four game series because he's Wayne Gretzky. But yeah, you know, maybe something like that I could see. Other than that, until. Until we add like another round to the playoffs and something like that, I I just don't see any of these being in play. He, he's just it's it's so ridiculous. Well, listen, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. This was a super fun show. Uh, I don't know if you and I actually do this show again. We may not be on speaking terms next week after this That's Dallas right. San yeah. Francisco game coming up on the weekend. So we'll see we'll see if we're on speaking terms and and doing the the show next Thursday. Yeah, if there's a guest host. For whoever's team loses, then yeah. you know what's up. You can you can put the pieces together. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this latest edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, like I said earlier, drop us any questions to theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. If you're not a subscriber with us, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Get yourself an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month. You can also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Get all of the bonus content from our entire network. You'll start with a 30-day free trial. And then it's just $0.99 cents a month after that.